0: Uh, I'm going to start with a poem and then head into prayer. And this poem is called Exhale. What's the name of it again? Exhale. Not to be confused with Waiting to Exhale, which is a movie with Whitney Houston back in the day. Do I remember that? Remember that? Yes. All right. Exhale. There will be a day when I rise above the clouds. When my head cracks the sky and savage clouds will enfold me and I am lifted by wind and I am roar and breeze and sun dawning glory and I will rise like the sun breaking the plane of horizon and I will see him face to face, God looking me dead in my face, my God so big he shatters my language so pure and raw as to obliterate all classification and my mouth will be sealed. And it will be terrifying, the fire and the radiance, and it will be the moment I was made for. I was made for this. I was made for something, someone so high, so high, I can't, so high, so holy, I fail, so holy, eternal. My mouth is broken. Words are kindling. Words like infinite, omnipotent, everlasting, only placeholders like gum wrappers upon which we try to scrawl the universe, scraps of paper in a cyclone, toothpicks trying to prop up mountains. Today it all comes crashing down because on that day I will see for the first time firsthand and I will be obliterated. My preconceived notions obliterated, filthy hands obliterated, doubt obliterated, lies obliterated, smallness obliterated, time obliterated, glass darkly obliterated by face, to face, and I will see the one whom we are for. And all my excuses and reasons will die before they can even reach my lips, obliterated. Only one word, one name, will survive the journey. Christ in me, the hope of glory. God in man, radiantly waiting for flesh to be burned away. A hidden treasure and deflector of the holy wrath to come. The son who makes me into a son. And I will see God, the ferocious one, within whose palm I am the merest speck of dust. I will stand before his face, his his majesty threatening to thrash every molecule apart from every molecule, moorings obliterated, bones obliterated. And he has actually looked into and meditated upon my heart, insignificance, obliterated, trying so hard to be someone Obliterated, author of the sun and hearts and air and words and love, holding my face, looking into my eyes. Confusion, obliterated, homelessness, obliterated, tears, so many tears wiped away for he is God, but he is also father and home. And I will go home and see my father face to dazzling face, And perfect love will once and for all snap the neck of fear. And I will exhale. That's exhale. Thank you. So let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, I thank you, I thank you for this moment. For this moment in time, this Sunday, this week, this hour, this second, Lord God, I thank you for every soul that's in this room. And we come thirsty and hungry for the one thing that will satisfy, which is your word and your spirit. There are so many things in this world, that so many distractions, so many shiny things that that collect our attention, that demand our attention, and yet today we have chosen to give our attention to the one thing needful, which is to sit at the feet of Jesus and to learn of you. And not only to hear your words, but to be impacted by your spirit. That's the goal of preaching. That's why I'm here today. Not to just disseminate information, Lord God, but that we might partake in holiness together and be changed and be grown and be moved forward in our lives. And so I pray that that would happen today, Father. I pray that you cause our hearts to be humble, cause the ground to be fertile, help us to see and to hear, and if there are any hindrances or blockages or deceits, or or wicked thought patterns that have entered into this room, I just bind you in the name of Jesus. And I just pray that your sweet spirit would be among us, Lord, and that from the youngest to the oldest, we might all taste and see that you are good. And I ask this in the name of your precious son, with great confidence and expectation. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, good morning. All right, Uh, so my name is Johnny Levy. I'm one of the teaching elders uh, at Aletheia Church, and I will be teaching out of the ESV. So going back to last week, Joel preached on the uh, uh, Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac, and I thought excellently so, uh, excellently done. Saw things in the passage that I hadn't ever seen before, and, and I would say probably one of the the most stunning things from last week was just how parallel the sacrifice of Isaac was to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And so we get to see in that, in that early, early stage of history, right? Like this is the, the beginning of the Christian story in the sense that God chooses his family, right? God chooses a people. And then God begins to tell his story through that people. And at the very beginning of that story, we get to see the crucifixion, we get to see that story prophesy the crucifixion that would fulfill all things, and I thought that that was stunning. Another thing that we get to see is Abraham's faith in action, right? Like like a faith that is intended to be an example for us and a witness to us and, and to show us in some sense our destination, you know, by looking at somebody who God blessed so abundantly with such a faith testimony that it's hard for us to even imagine having that much faith. And in that, and in that moment, God tells Abraham to take the son of his heart and to stab him on an altar. And Abraham does it without question, right? He goes without question and prepares because he, he believes that God is who he says he is and he believes the promises that God has given him and he believes that, no, God will, if God has me go through with this, he's going to raise Him from the dead because he promised me that I would become many nations through this child who he's telling me to kill. And so we get to see that contradiction, right, the paradox, where God says, here's the fulfillment of the promise, Abraham, the thing you've been waiting for for 30 years. Here it is. I give you a miraculous son. And then then the, then the next thing he says is, oh, now go kill him. In the idea that so much of the faith walk is reconciling, is, is, is living with paradox, living with contradiction. And the only way out of con- that contradiction for him was simple trust. And I thought that, that point was highlighted so well. We're going to continue on that. But in some sense, I'm going to use a phrase here that's going to come back. In some sense, what we see God doing with Abraham is drawing a man so so much towards himself that he's willing to cut ties with everything else. There's literally nothing that Abraham wouldn't have given up for God. And God says, now I know, right? when, when At that moment when God provides the ram, he, he, he looks at Abraham and he says, now I know that you wouldn't even withhold your, your precious son from me, that you wouldn't withhold anything from me. Um, and God blesses him in that. And so, so there is this, this idea of cutting ties, right? This idea that, there was nothing in Abraham's life that he was going to allow to compete with the sovereignty of God in his life. Amen? All right. So now we're going to head into the next passage, which is the death of Sarah. And there are some words that are going to keep coming up. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you like this whole kind of download of the different words that are, that are, that are super important throughout the narrative not just the narrative in scripture, but then, then as we go to Hebrews and that narrative is summarized again and then there's information added to it, I'm going to pull from all that uh, to, give, to give this sermon. So the first term is bride. I want not you tuck that one in your mind. Sojourner. And then there's a couple synonyms for sojourner that, that come up in the text. Sojourner, stranger, exile, that kind of grouping of concepts. City and country. Right, there's a, There's this idea of another city or a different city or a better city that's being waited for. A city with foundations, that word foundations is going to come up. And then the word temple is going to come up. I'm going to read through them one more time because, again, I'm going to to trace these all through through the passages. Bride, sojourner, stranger, exile, city, country, foundations, and temple. We're gonna talk about the tension between the promise versus the practical, all right? So the promise versus the practical and how sometimes those things can be in contradiction which will just be the continuation of a theme that's been going since the beginning. A question, what is it about the quality of mourning that can help us with our longings, right? What is it about the quality of mourning that can help us with our longings how is Abraham's walk a lesson for our mindset in the world, right? Y'all know I like to get practical and get hands-on with things, and so how does this, this scripture, the this story of a man who lived thousands of years ago, how does that impact how I live and walk, walk in my life? Next question, what are we really longing for in the end? What are we really, we experience longings. Who here experiences longings, right? Like, you know, who feels intense longings? Who feels often that those longings are disappointed? You don't have to raise your hand. Every hand would be raised. <laughs> and then lastly, what is the significance of cutting ties? Okay, what does it mean to cut ties? And where do we see examples of that within the text? All right, so I'm going to start us in, you know, I like to start with umbrella scripture first, and then we'll get into the other scripture. So, uh, you know, scripture interprets scripture. Hebrews 11:8 8 through 16 is where we're going to start. I'm going to read us through that text, and I'm going to stop a few times to, uh, to give some emphasis on certain portions of it. So I'm going to give you a moment, Hebrews 11:8 8 through 16. Now, starting with 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Okay, so right, we're going back to the, he's referring to the old text, but then there's some things about Abraham's motives uh, and mindset that are revealed here, right? God gave him this promised land. He said I promise this land to you. And then he gets to run around in it like none of it's his. Right? The practical did not line up with the promise in his lifetime or in the lifetimes of many of his children after him. So there's that that uh, that emphasis on the idea of promise. This promised land is yours. Oh, but you're going to it's going to appear to you and feel to you for your whole life like a foreign land. And what do you do with that? Right? And then the idea that in his wandering, he was actually looking forward to something even beyond the fulfillment of the promise for land. Because what he was in expectation of was a city whose foundations were of God himself. Right? He was looking forward to an, an even different city than that. Well, we don't get into that. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles. Everybody say, strangers and exiles. On the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. All right, emphasis here, right? If you're a stranger, if you say, I'm a stranger in this land, I'm an exile in this land, you're actually making a statement, right? And the statement that you're making is, I am seeking a homeland. I haven't found my home yet. You're making that statement by saying that you're a stranger in an exile, that you're waiting for something. Now, On to 15. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. Everybody say better country. country. Come on. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. God has prepared for them a city. That gets me pumped. All right, so let's jump back to Genesis chapter 23, and we're going to go through the primary text. All right, Genesis 23, death and burial of the bride. See what I did there? The bride. Y'all remember? Remember that word? Okay. Death and burial of the bride. Sarah lived, oh, sorry, this is verse 1, chapter 23, verse 1. When you get there, say word. Word. Okay. Come on. Vanilla ice. All right. (laughs) Sarah lived 127 years. Yes, I did not stutter. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. A couple things to note here. Abraham, at the time that she's 127, Abraham is 137. He was 10 years older than her. How long were they married? At least 72 years, right? Probably closer to 100, but at least 72 years because at the time that Abraham leaves uh, and follows the call of God, he's 75, right? At the time she dies, he's 137. You do the math and that's 72 years. So if they had gotten married like the day before he left, that's a 72-year marriage. But we know, you know, common sense would say that he was married prior to that, so who knows? 80 years, 90 years, 100 years. Can you imagine being married to somebody for 72 years plus? Can you imagine being married? What? Go ahead. Come on. Preach it. Yes, he can. Rob can. Come on. He said, I love my wife. That's what he's saying. Amen. And I say amen to you because I love my wife. All right. So he was, you know, a mar- married for that long, right? What happens when you marry somebody? You become one, Right? And he's lost. He's lost that. He's lost that in his wandering. You know, we we know he's been through many trials. He's been, been through many disappointments. He's also seen God's glory. But it's been a it's been a you know a gritty. He's got a gritty story, with a lot of pain in it. And now we have him losing his wife of, you know, seventy two plus years. And that's a painful thing. He loses the bride. Now. We're going to get into this more as I have time, but there's an, there is a sense in which when we lose the things we love, right, that our love is relocated. Now, here's what I mean. Um, Sarah's no longer with him, but she is somewhere else, isn't she? Yeah. Right? So it's almost like as we go through life, more, more and more things, and especially as you get older, right, like as you get older, you, become, you begin to become more acquainted with loss. Am I wrong or right? You know, I'm only 46, but, you know, I know more about loss than I did when I was 26, right? It's, 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 it's a reality of this life that, that there is a sense in which our love is being relocated, right? That the things of this world um, begin to shine less brightly, and hopefully the things of the other world begin to shine more brightly. Amen? All right. And Abraham rose up from before his dead, now we're in verse 3, and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Somebody say amen. Amen. This is what he said. That's that's what he leads out with when he goes to these Hittites. He doesn't go to the Hittites and say, hey, y'all, this is my land. God promised it to me. He says, no, I'm a sojourner. I'm a stranger. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. You see what's happening here? Do you see the humility here? It's all his. And he has to come and buy enough land to bury his wife because he doesn't own any of it. Talk about tension, right? Right? Talk about contradiction. Talk about paradox. He's got to go and essentially beg land to bury his wife when God's told him that I'm going to give you the whole thing. It's all yours. And yet, he knows it's not yet, right? It's not yet. And so he behaves accordingly. Now, what's very significant is he comes to them and he says, now, now again, in the passage that I just read you, when a man comes to you and he says, I'm a sojourner and I'm a stranger, What's he really saying to you? I'm looking for a home. My home isn't here. This isn't my home. I have another home somewhere else. Right? So he comes in and he says that. Now, here's the, here's the tension, right? Hebrews again, if we go back to that passage that I read you before, he went to live in the land in the promise as a foreign land, looking forward to the city that has foundations. We're gonna sit here for a minute. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations. See, this is what the scripture tells us. I I can't read Abraham's mind in that moment, but but I can go back to the inspired scripture that comes later that interprets the scripture, and this is what they tell me he was thinking. right? They tell me that he was looking forward to the city that has foundations. That's what they're telling me that Abraham was doing while he's running around in this land, in this contradiction, in this paradox, in this tension... He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Now, if he's looking for a city that has foundations, what does that say about the city that he's in? Doesn't have foundations. Whatever this foundation thing is, he's saying, this land, this world in front of me that I see doesn't have foundations. I'm looking for a city that has foundations. Amen? Amen. Now, let me go ahead and just apply that to us a little bit. If I think that this city around us has foundations, if I think that this nation around us has foundations, if I think this world around us has foundations, what am I gonna do when COVID hits, right? What am I gonna do when there's financial instability? What am I gonna do when there's war and rumors of war? If this land is my foundation, what's gonna happen to me? I'm gonna freak out right? Exhibit A, whatever, go look at Twitter, <laughs> you know? Like, that's what's going to happen to me. But if I understand that this city in front of me doesn't have foundations, and I'm looking for a city that does have foundations, then therefore my affections are relocated to a place that can better handle my affections. Amen? Come on, preach it. Wise man that built his house on the rock. And so there's some application for you, right? As we're we're going through and we're watching this man wander, we're the same. This is not our city. And yet it is. It's a paradox, right? Everywhere you set your foot belongs to you. And yet, not yet. Or at least the experience of it hasn't come yet. It's already, but it's not yet. And that tension is throughout Scripture, and it's only resolved by faith, which is, God, I trust you. And I will say that one of the ways that God reminds us that this is not our land is through loss. Amen? That's one of the ways that God reminds us that this city doesn't have foundations because in this city, we lose things. In this city, there's pain. In this city, people die. In this city, people lose their jobs, right? In this city, there's persecution, right? That happens in this city. Don't happen in that city, but it does happen in this city. And when it happens in this city, by the grace of God, may he give us the serenity to be able to convert that, right? To a faith and an understanding that, okay, well, this city behaves this way because this city doesn't have foundations. This city not my inheritance. This city is not my hope. So now, now so, and again, this theme, this idea of cutting ties. When I say cutting ties, sometimes the ties are cut for us, right? But there is a healthy way in which when you understand that you're a sojourner, then you're not so tied up and entangled in this world that this world can take you down. And God's putting us through a process in which those ties get cut. And some of them we cut. Because we say, you know what? This tie is not healthy for me. I'm going to cut that. And some of them get cut for us. And both of them are for God's glory in growing us into people that know that we're strangers and foreigners in this world and that this world, therefore, doesn't have the power to control us. Amen? Amen. All right. Come on. Preaching it to my own soul all day long. (laughs) The Hittites answered Abraham, hear us, my Lord. Now, these Hittites are going to end up being deathly enemies with the Israelites, right? That, that's going to happen in the future. But for now, everybody's cool. So Abraham goes. They say, hear us, my lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you this tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, if you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns, is at the end of his field for the full price. Somebody say, for the full price. full price. Let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now, Abraham comes with respect. That's one thing, right? Just, just watch the respect that the man comes with. I think there's something to be gained there. Secondarily, he's also, in a sense, cutting ties. What I mean by that is, he's saying, I will pay for this. I'm not asking you to give me a handout, right? I'm not trying to become bound to you in any form of debt. I'm going to pay full price for this thing, even though it's all mine. Surprise, surprise! <laughs> I'll give you full price, and uh, and please let me have this particular spot that I've chosen out. Now, Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites of all who went in at the gate of the city. No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. And then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron, in the hearing of the people of the land, but if you will hear me, I give the price of the field. Accept it for me that I may bury my dead there. Now, in some sense, this seems rude, right? Because the guy's like, look, man, you're a great man. We respect you. You can have it. It's yours. And 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 it's like, why does Abraham refuse that? Right? And I don't necessarily know all the reasons. There could be some prophecy going on here. Right? There could be some prophecy happening in terms of like, no, these people are going to be at odds with your offspring. Give it a couple hundred years or whatever. Right? That's going to happen. So that's coming. But there's another time when Abraham does the exact same thing in Genesis chapter 14. When the king of Sodom, after the war of the kings, and the king of Sodom comes to Abraham and says, hey, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself after the battle's been won. And uh, Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I've lifted up my hand to the Lord God, most high possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. You see cutting ties, right? He didn't want to be tied to, to the king of Sodom. He didn't want to owe the king of Sodom anything. He didn't want the king of Sodom to be able to exalt or glory over his life, saying, look what I did for Abraham and his successes because of me. Abraham wasn't having that. The God's going to get the glory was what Abraham's heart was, right? And so we see that there's a sense in which Abraham knew when to cut ties. He knew how to cut ties. He knew how to not let ties get created that shouldn't be there. Amen? And so we see him doing that here. Part of being a sojourner, right? Part of being an alien, part of being an exile, part of knowing that your hope is somewhere else besides the favor of man in this world. Now listen to Ephron. Such a nice guy. <laughs> My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver, what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham, listen to Ephron, and Abraham, wait out for Ephron the silver, that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the guy says, hey man, don't worry about it. 400 she- What's 400 shekels? In? And Abraham, all he hears is 400 shekels. There it is. Here you go. Wait it out. I will pay for the land. I'm not going to take it as a gift from you. And again, with respect, right? He does this with great respect. You know, now I'm, I'm not necessarily impugning the man's motives. I am saying Abraham knew, and often we have to know what ties we need to not make, right? There are certain ties we don't want to make. Sometimes a gift's not a gift. That one's for free, right? Sometimes a gift's not a gift. Sometimes a gift has strings attached to it. And we need to be free. So the field of Ephron and Machpelah, which was the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it and all the trees that were in the field throughout the whole area, was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah east of Mamre, that is Hebron in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. And that is the word of the Lord. Okay, so that's, we're through the chapter. So, uh, so the rest of my time up here is going to be continuing to kind of draw that application out of the text. And, uh, and then to begin trying to paint a better picture of what it means to be a sojourner in the land. And then what that better country is like. quick summary. Abraham grieves over his bride, right? He grieves over the bride. We see one more stake that he has that ties him to this earth being ripped up, right? Last week it was his son, right? He had to give up his son. God returned it to him, but but, but God wanted to see that that, that he wasn't going to withhold it from him. So, so we see this consistent cutting of ties for Abraham, some that are being cut for him, some that he's cutting himself. Abraham must go and purchase a, bur- a burial site now. And there we have the promise versus the practical. This is his land, but he's got to still go buy a cave to put his son, because it's already and it's not yet. And he's got to live in that tension. And the way that he lives in that tension is through faith, that it's okay. It's okay for Abraham that he's got to go and beg for some land when God told him it all belongs to you. It's okay for Abraham. Because he has faith. Has such faith that God making these promises to him carried weight with him even though he didn't get to see the fulfillment of the promises in his lifetime. See, that's faith, right? That's faith. Number three, Abraham calls himself a stranger and a foreigner. He identifies himself as one who is waiting for a better country, one who is waiting for a homeland. And really what he's waiting for in his heart, although he may not even have known this as he's waiting for God's promise to be fulfilled physically, what he was really waiting for was a better country whose maker and designer is God that has foundations in heaven. That's what he was really waiting for. Come on. You hear the longing. Anybody here long for a better country? I do. The older I get, the more I do. Abraham insists on purchase and refuses to take the land for free, showing us the practice of cutting ties, right? Or not allowing ties to be initiated that could tie us in unhealthy ways. So what does it mean to look for a city with foundations? I'm going to go back to that. Because that, that phrase, man, you know, this idea that, that he, as he wandered through the land, what he was really looking for was a city with foundations, right? What's the city like that has foundations, I wonder? What are the things that are present in the city that has foundations that aren't pre- present in the city without foundations? I'm going to read you a scripture that's going to talk about that in just a moment. And the consistency, I'm telling you, what astounds me as we, as we continue to go through the biblical record is the consistency, Right? Like this idea of the bride. You know, Joel was talking about this last week. Just, there, were, there were all these concepts that you see carried all the way from this ancient history of the text all the way through the resurrection and that still just have relevance today. So this idea of the bride, right? Like the bride and the ransom of the bride that keeps coming up. You know, and, and, uh, and the idea of, of being a sojourner in an exile. That language, that specific phrasing comes up throughout Scripture, and it means something throughout Scripture. You know, this idea of, of, uh, um, of being the temple, of the church being the temple, that comes up. I'm going to throw that in in a moment. And I'm going to let this, I'll let the Scripture just begin to tie it all together. So Revelations 21, 1 through 4. We're going to talk about a city. A, we're going to talk about a better country. We're going to talk about what a better city looks like. We're gonna talk about the place that your soul, whether you know it or not, is longing for every day and what it's like in that place. Revelation 21, verse one. Open your heart to this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. No more tears, y'all. How does that sound to you? When does that sound most beautiful to you? the idea of no more tears, no more pain, no more death. When does that sound the sweetest to you? Say it again. When you're hurting. Anybody in here hurting? Anybody in here does it sound like good news that there will be a time when there will be no more tears? That this is temporary? So we see in this passage, the bride is restored, right? Now what we see with Abraham and Sarah is he's been bereaved of his bride, right? We see Abraham as, and God has made him, right? In our, in our vision, in our seeing, he is God has made him a type of the father. He's made him a type of himself, right? He shows that when he had him sacrifice his son or about to sacrifice him. And so now we see this man, this type of the father, losing his bride, Right? But then we see in Revelation, right? I'm in the beginning of the book and the end of the book. I'm in Genesis and Revelation. I'm co- encompassing the entire biblical record, right? And we see the bride is restored, and she's a city. And in the city, there is the presence of God dwelling unhindered with man. And in the city, there is ultimate belonging. Because you're with the God that you were made to dwell with in perfect communion. And in this city, there's no tears and no more pain and there's no more death. I mean, what else is there that's negative about this city without foundations? When we're crying, what are we crying about? We're crying because we're in pain, physical or emotional. We're crying because of death right? We're crying because of loss, and in that city, those things do not exist, amen? We were not made to live this life. We were made to live there. We're citizens of that kingdom. That's why we're longing. That's why it hurts so bad when you turn on the news. We have the worship team come on up. Sometimes, in order to endure what's in front of us, we have to be able to take a deep breath and remember that there will be a day when we get to exhale, right? There will be a day. There is a city that we were made for, and one day we will be in that city, but not yet. We got work to do while we're here. God's got work to do in us. God's preparing us for that city. Amen. And when he's done, we're going to be able to dwell. The bride will be restored. We will be in perfect community, perfect peace. That anxiety that you feel in your chest, will not, you will not wake up with that anymore. That pain in your chest, that feeling of like, man, this world just wasn't made for me. Like, I, it's like oil and water. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't know how to live in a place like this. Of course you feel that way. You weren't made for this city. I'm gonna get you to Ephesians two nineteen through twenty two. Ephesians two nineteen through twenty two, and then we're gonna we're going to, I'm gonna pray us into worship. So then you, uh, Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Somebody say amen. amen. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the, you see that word foundation, right? You see those words strangers and aliens built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. What do we get to see in Revelation descending from the sky? The new Jerusalem. Man, it's people, y'all. That glorious thing that we got to see descending, that thing that will take your breath away, that is his church restored to her beauty for eternity. In him, you also are being built together. You also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I want you to repeat after me. I am being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. See, that's what's happening, right? And it is necessary that we go through what we're going through here. And I know, man, when I say, hey, you gotta, you gotta cinch your belt, cinch up your belt, cinch up your belt and keep going. Because I know it's hard. Like, I know, man. I know. I know it's hard. But there is an end to it, my friends. There is a perfect and a beautiful end to what you're going through. And what you're going through is being used, whether you can feel it or not, whether you can sense it or not whether you can properly interpret it yet, it is being used to make you into a fit dwelling place for the spirit of God. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for these people. I thank you for the fellowship that I, I get to feel on this pulpit as I get to preach your beautiful word to these faces and to these hearts and to know, Lord God, that there is a heart in here that needs to get encouraged today. There is somebody in here who feels like it's too much, And how do I continue to endure? And there are people in here that need to be reminded, no, it's not strange, my friends. You're a stranger and an alien in this world, and it's going to feel like that. But you have a better city coming, and it's going to be worth it. And the only way that a person could possibly accept that coming from my lips is through faith. And so, Father, I pray that you would give the miracle of faith to your people for us to believe our way through the paradoxes, believe our way through the contradictions, and to have a settled heart, have our affections properly set on things above and not on things on the earth. For our life is hid with Christ in God. See, that's where our life is. It's not here. It was never here. And so I pray, Father, it's one thing for me to say these words, and it is another thing for these words to come alive inside of us and for us to begin, like Abraham did, to feel like an exile, to feel like a sojourner, to feel like my hope is in another country, but then also to have perfect peace in the God who's leading me to and fro in the land and who knows what he's doing. So if there's anything that I would pray, the people in this room who are hurting it is that the peace of god would arise like the day star in their hearts and that they would be filled with the faith and the peace that surpasses understanding to where it's like i don't have to understand to trust you lord i don't have to understand i'm not waiting to understand before i'm going to let my heart rest but that we by faith would allow our hearts to rest that our hearts would be allowed to rest right in the midst of the paradox, right in the midst of the contradiction, right in the midst of walking up that mountain to slay your son with a knife because you don't understand why God asked you to do it, and yet somehow having peace because the character of God has become so beautiful to me that I'll go wherever he says. Do that, Jesus. Do that in my heart. Do that in the hearts of my family. Do that in the hearts of your church. And we will give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're heading into into our response time. And I'm gonna read a quote to kind of continue to help us to just bathe in what the Lord is doing. This is a a quote from Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings. And on the other, never to mistake them for something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country. Y'all heard that? My true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others to do the same. Amen? That's C.S. Lewis. When we lose the things of this world that he's talking about here, it also serves to prove to us that we were waiting for another country, that our longings were not of this world, but that our real longing is for that other city. So, if you don't know Christ, I have tried, as I always do, to show you the best I can through words, And by the power of the Spirit, the beauty of God, the beauty of who he is, the beauty of his promises, the consistency of his testimony, amen? And if that's calling to you, if you don't know Jesus, and if that picture, uh, if you find in yourself a longing for another country, I want to tell you something, you can go there. You can go and be who you were made to be and be with the one that you were made to be with. Don't let the moment pass you by. Right? Those, only those, the only ones that aren't going to be in heaven are the ones who exclude themselves. And so if you hear the Lord Jesus calling you, I would encourage you to say yes. I would encourage you to turn and to face it. I would encourage you to get prayer. I would encourage you to share it with somebody and to explore that road. called repentance. So often we're repenting because we thought the things of the world would satisfy us so much so that we went and deviated around God's plan to go get what we wanted. And I want to encourage you if that is if that is what God's bringing up, is a sadness and a grief for a loss over the things which you've pursued instead of the right kingdom, instead of that beautiful country and you've settled for something that's just a dim replacement that will never ever su- suffice you then I want to encourage you to repent because that's God's response is to repent. To repent and to rejoice that he has forgiven you because he slew his own son that you might not have to pay the cost for your sins, which you deserve to pay in full. Call to giving. When we're giving, we are also giving testimony that we're citizens of another country and not citizens of this country with its currency and its presidents printed on it. Amen? And so I, I, I would call you uh, again to, uh, to uh, as the Lord bears witness with you, between you and the Lord, we have places for giving on either side of the altar and we also have places for communion, which is a call to, com- to, to remembrance, right? Like it is, a, it is a, a, um, a way that we observe and we wait for Jesus until he comes back and we remember what he did for us. We remember that he, through his precious blood, Brought us into the covenant and made us citizens of another country. Isn't that something? That's the moment when it happened. That's the moment, right, when that thing that Abraham was longing for and didn't even have words for was offered to man through the blood of God's son. And finally, a call to prayer. So, uh, so if you want to be prayed for, man, I always, I know, I, I, know I, I just, I push hard on this one because I don't want anybody to leave this, this room not having eaten and drunk all that God has for you to eat and drink, and part of that is prayer. Part of that is, is, is being authentic and being visible and letting people know what your struggle is so that you can get prayed for because the prayer of the saints has power. And so I'd encourage you for any reason, if there's any tingling in you or any um, longing in you or, or desire or thought that you should get prayed for, please get prayed for. If not by me, I mean, I, I definitely will pray for you. I mean, we've got the, the person next to you will pray for you. If you want to pray with a woman, we have my sister over here who will pray for you. And so, uh, so please, uh, please go ahead and take advantage of that. Let's continue to worship.